Hey everybody, this is Rob for the House of X Book Club, and I've got the group with me. Everybody's here today, which is cool. Uh, we sometimes have those days where we'll have somebody missing, and it feels like a long, lonely time. Because I think this is a, a, a book club where everybody is best when everybody's present. Um, at any rate, uh, let's go ahead and see who we've got here. Hey, Rowan, what's going on? Not much, just hanging out. Glad everyone's here. Hello. Cool, cool. And uh, Raj, what's up, Raj? How's it going, kids? I just wanted to ask a quick question. Does anyone else hear Shane's voice at the beginning of the X-Men intro? I swear to God, he's one of the singers. (laughs) Listen to it closely next time. Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I think I, that's I, I, would not, I wouldn't do anything like that, man. That's a little bit too egotistical. Yeah. <laughs> Even for me. Yeah. So, Drew, good evening. Hello. And that's Drew, everybody. Um, <laughs> that's that's all I got. <laughs> that's okay, man. There, you're so much more than that. And we get that throughout the, uh, throughout the episode. Um, Shane, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. I'd like to make up. A- point for the record that i believe that this episode is going to be the first episode with a led zeppelin reference so if you're a collector this might be a key one day uh, I, i'll keep my i'll keep my ear out for it i'm excited for this yeah it's cool. kind of like where's waldo where's <laughs> jimmy page gonna pop up in the podcast <laughs> yeah well so tonight we're going to talk about two issues an X-Men issue, X-Men number 45, and the follow-up, Avengers number 53. Now, when I assigned the reading to this, somehow I had the two issues switch. So I want to thank Shane for pointing that out. I don't know how that happened or why, but uh, but yeah. This X-Men math 40... is hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Math is also, hard. Also, so is reading. Well, I, I got to tell you, I thought it was X-Men 53 and Avengers 45. Oh. I'm this is gonna be a wild ride. <laughs> okay, well and that was the day they found out that Roger takes quaaludes before doing the reading for the book club. This is, uh, you know, it keeps coming back to pudding pops with us. It does. <laughs> for me, this this is like our days of future past. Roger's from the future. He's coming back to the past. Um, yeah, I advise you not to go there. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, shall we get started? Let's do it. Uh, X-Men number 45. The release date was April 9th, 1968. The cover date, of course, is June of 68. We've got writer Gary Friedrich, penciler Werner Roth with Don Heck, I think, doing the layouts. Inking is John Tartaglioni. Letter is Sam Rosen. Editor is Stan Lee. And the title of the book is, the title of the story is When Mutants Clash. Very exciting title. Um, so the story starts off with Cyclops using his optic beam to break out of his bonds. Okay, if you'll remember, he was he was captured. Uh, he goes to free the others, and he spots Jean, who's kind of in a stupor, and he says something like, "I don't know. She looks like she's in a stupor. She'll be of no use. I'll go free the others." And uh, <laughs> hello, fucked up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> What? I don't want to disturb her. She's sleeping. So I want to. I want to point out while he's saying this, he's he's gazing through an oak door, 
I want to know how many times in their past he's gazed through an oak door and seen the scene and said the same thing. Because we know they have an oak door in the mansion. Right. Oh. Ooh, and when they also dark. and they also have an <laughs> opening in the from the lab into a bedroom. So yeah. that's right. He might yeah. not even need to peer surreptitiously. He's just yeah. Crimes of Xavier. He's conditioned Cyclops to ignore Jean when she's passed out. Well, this is dark. So, Already well, so dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> While he's running around trying to free his friends, Toad spots him. Now Scott goes off to find the others, only to have only to have to make his way through like some danger room style traps. Um I mean these traps definitely feel like something Xavier threw down in the in the old danger room, you know, there's there's the whole, I don't know, panel that opens up the floor with the spikes coming out of it, and the, uh, you know, not really, but I mean, it it feels kind of like that stuff. It's it's that that kind of simple. Um, well, and the but, angles too in the art, it's like an Escher painting or something because yeah, it's yeah. or it's got or the Batman angles is what I call them if you are for a television reference. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, of course, this is this is uh, Magneto's lair, right? And and he's really proud of himself that he's captured the X Men. Um, now we switch to Warren, who who's recalling his run in with the Red Raven. If you'll remember, I think it was the last episode we talked about this, um, where you know. Warren got loose and Cyclops said, don't free me, go, go warn the Avengers or go get the Avengers. So Warren took off to get the Avengers. And instead of getting the Avengers, he spent the whole issue hanging out, fighting and hanging out with this red Raven, who's like a kind of a old world war two superhero. Mm -hmm. Um, Now he did, he did eventually get to the Avengers. So he, uh, he goes into the, into New York and, and, is there to warn the Avengers. Meanwhile, Quicksilver sees Cyclops as he's running around loose and he says, hey, I just want to talk. Well, that's kind of interesting. Um, it looks like it, it feels like like Quicksilver is trying to appeal to the Cyclops a little bit. And we remember seeing him at Charles Xavier's funeral. So I I am actually really into this issue at this point because there's some real character development. I think might even be subtle, but it's definitely character development for Pietro. What do you, I, Rod? You're nodding your head. What do you think? Well, I have a couple things to say about this. First off, I fully agree. I think that uh, Quicksilver is showing a lot more maturity and and development since we've seen him in the past. Um, in fact not only is he kind of like thinking about what he's doing before addressing Cyclops, he had the perfect opportunity because he was watching him surreptitiously. He could have like attacked him, but he didn't. He, he jumps in front of him to stop him and talk to him on, on page seven. That's very abundantly clear, you know? So, and it's like what you said, where he's watching everything at the funeral, not there to fight. He's just kind of like, I think he's realizing that there's a bigger world and he, needs to be part of it and not everyone is necessarily an enemy but i do want to point out the art in this is a lot better than a lot of the stuff we've seen in the past if you look at page four a at the top the the toad's face and his features Mm -hmm. 
are well developed and all the characters have their own individual looks in this yeah but at the bottom of page four look at the side of cyclops's face you can see the detail of his ear underneath the spandex mask roth went to the trouble of actually saying there is anatomy here and you actually can see it and then you can see the little button on the side of his of cyclops's visor so and like shane said with all the angles and stuff not only are they providing a background but there's a lot of dynamic feeling to it the composition of his art is a lot better than stuff we've seen especially in the in the early early books yeah very true and i think that might part in part have something to do i mean besides warner roth being a pretty decent artist uh don heck was doing the layouts on that yeah. so so there was some of that already set up but also well, see, and that and that and that kind of beats what was going on in the early days because in the early days you didn't have a big cast of people producing one book like yeah. you got a layout man you got an inker you got a letterer and an artist in the in the past you know i don't know who was doing layouts if it was stan lee or if it was yeah it was kirby all, doing everything himself kirby. right okay we'll see that's one reason the art wasn't better is because he had a truckload of stuff he had to to deal with and think oh, about Oh, here we go again no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> yeah no i'm actually defending kirby because if he had had less of a workload if he yeah. had, had the creative team like they have now you would have seen this level of art and creativity he didn't have the time to do it yeah it does make a difference when you've got oh totally the, does the work spread around about throughout more people yeah well and and the simple fact is it's not one person deciding something it's two or three or four giving opinions and working it out and making yeah. it that much better well it, i think it's great that you're talking about like the olden days when kirby did the art as opposed to five years later when warner roth and don heck and uh, john yeah. cartaglione are doing the artwork it, well the, it is like it, it's like night and day almost in the art mm -hmm. style here's one thing i i would put forth though is that i think that Kirby's art was best, honestly, when he was doing everything by himself. Um, no inker. Like the reason that his art in the X Men was not good was that the he was working with an inker, and I don't think that he necessarily wanted to work with anyone other than himself. To he mm -hmm. wanted to, I don't know that a layout guy would have helped him. I think it might have made things a little bit rougher. Yeah, well, no, I, I would agree with that. But at the same time, that means he's got less time to do things. Yeah, he had like you know? so much. I mean, they had such a workload. He had such a workload. And I yeah. think that when we were looking at early, early issues of the X-Men, I think we were seeing the least favorite book and we were kind of seeing it suffer for being yeah. the least favorite and, book. And he was drawing like, what, three, four books at a, at a time for Marvel? Oh, at least. Yeah, at least. Yeah. So, I mean, no wonder. And again, he's not a bad artist, but when you have more time to, to develop, shut up, Shane, when you have more time <laughs> to develop what you're doing, it's going to look better. It's going to look more polished. You know, here, here. I would agree. I would agree. So uh, that said, um, Pietro, like I said, stops and wants to talk to Cyclops. You know, he's not trying to attack him. He's not uh trying to snitch on him to magneto he's like hey i want to talk to you and that doesn't go so well well because you know there's some hurt feelings and history there between those guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep, maybe just a little <laughs> 
So the two, of course, fight. Uh, but finally, Pietro does talk to him and tries to convince Scott that Magneto's right. Uh, Cyclops actually in this Cyclops, it almost feels like Cyclops is starting to believe it, too. He's like, I understand what you're saying, Pietro. But still, he remembers Charles Xavier's message and, and says, look, I get it. But no, he's he's not the good guy here. You know, so it's it's interesting. I like the writing in this. I like not just the art. I like the writing and how there's conversation. It's not just go destroy the Fantastic Four. Okay, there's a fight, then the fight ends. It's it's like, wait, why are we doing this? And why are you doing that? And look, this is right, and that's right. It's I am I'm on board with this story, Eric. It's it's pretty cool so far. So the two fights the more, and Magneto. Toad and Scarlet Witch are watching from, you know, a different a different room. Cyclops zaps him into unconsciousness just as the Avengers show up and they get to see that shit go down. And so they're like, oh, you're the bad guy. OK, because as far as they remember, or as far as they know, Quicksilver is still an Avenger. I'd like to hear some of your thoughts on on certain parts of the issues but mainly at the beginning right now just what did you guys think of this issue oh well the avengers come upon cyclops and quicksilver and it's quicksilver as a as a turncoat avengers and so they when they see cyclops and quicksilver they're like oh so they're hanging out so there's some Mm. bullshit going on and so it makes them antagonistic well at the beginning one of the things that 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 I saw that that I was I didn't like it was a little frustrating was so uh, page two Cyclops is talking about how he hasn't used his powers in a while so they should be at their peak yeah but the problem with that as was I believe just established last issue he was unconscious he was inside. And his eyeballs were blocked from absorbing any sunlight by his Devo hat. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. so how are his powers at their peak? Just got to crack that whip. Um, I, You're right about that. I mean, we've already discovered through these comics that, you know, in backup stories and whatnot, that his powers, his eyeballs work as solar batteries. They have to absorb light. Then uh, they can do that even with his eyes closed. But can they do that with a lead helmet covering his face? And his visor on his on his mask. Yeah, that was one thing that I had an issue with too. Is um, like he he uses his eye beams to explode this lead helmet that's covering his eyes, but he would also have to lift his visor because there's no way Magneto would just oh let's open up his visor and then put the helmet on so that his eye beams can you know affect the lead. That just just wouldn't happen. So it it there was this weird kind of uh, you know. I don't know. I hate to use this word because Roger's going to jump on me about it, but there's this continuity issue um, <laughs> about, about, about what was going on here with with him escaping. It just seemed bizarre to me. I but couldn't really. It wasn't is wasn't this the point where they were pointing out uh, that he had buttons on his gloves that would open yeah, his visor? But but if you remember, but those were I disabled. Think, yeah, Toad they were about, okay. I Toad couldn't remember. actually made it a point to talk about when he was talking about all the ways that Magneto had devised for each of these X-Men to like capture them or keep them, you know, keep them caught. One of the things was that Magneto had him disable the buttons in Cyclops's hands. That's even how we learned about the buttons. 
Well, yeah. there there were a couple of things that changed from issue forty four to forty five. When when forty four ended, all of the X Men were captive in the same room. Right. That also was a now, thing. Mm, yeah, but there could be a there could be some time in between. I mean, I that didn't bother me at all. It could, it, it, you know, we're not going to pick up necessarily the very minute. You know, minute. Drew, I think you just ruined this issue for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> pointing out reality. Yeah. Well. Wait. Damn so, it. Wait. Let's That's where I live. That. I can't let's help not it. Go that far. No, I. You scored on that one. That was a good point. <laughs> Um, one other nitpicky issue I had was on page uh, page four when Cyclops is diving through the, the 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 two steel doors are slamming shut together and he's diving through it and he's shooting one door with his eye beams and it's it's hitting that it's it's hitting that at a certain angle and it's launching straight out to the other door to force them apart. That's not how geometry works. Like, yeah, but you're forgetting where they are. <laughs> That was that was it. It's nitpicky, but they're just on, like there's a geometry. Magneto's, they're on Magneto's top secret <laughs> island, where everything is controlled by magnetism. You know, as, as a nerd, though, I feel like I feel like the this this crew of nerds who are writing this comic book can just go out and play a game of pool, and realize how angles work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, again, we're it's it's fiction, and we're seeing a little bit of fudging of things. That's why, absolutely, you know, it's the only way it works. I don't know. Did we mention last issue that Red Raven looks like an awful lot like a Flash Gordon kind of? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. somebody yes. did mention the costume. Okay, because I just it popped into my head again as we were reading this again. I was like, I'm kind of so that that was kind of intentional, um, because. Uh, he really is designed to even be a Flash Gordon type character. If you remember his okay. origin, he, you know, he talked about his origin and how his people, or how he crashed, his plane crashed into, you know, this place where these bird people lived, and they adopted him and they raised him, and they, I mean, it's it's not quite Flash Gordon, but it is kind of the same type of thing. He's a human being raised by bird people, so. And I feel like this was also the first issue where they kind of dropped hints that Quicksilver might be related to Magneto, or at least they did the same drugs. Oh, tell me about that. Yeah. Well, he's got the same crazy is his facial uh, on page six. Quicksilver's facial expressions match Magneto very closely. Oh, so you think it might be kind of a a hint that they're trying to, to allude to at least put that seed in people's minds that they're that they're related they're connected i mean it's entirely possible i don't know if that's the case or not and i i don't know if we can can really give them credit for that type of continuity because they're it's so issue to issue with this mm-hmm. but i just i did find it interesting that they looked so similar in that instance there yeah, and and we're also talking about an artist that has distinct looks for all the characters, right? And here they are looking very similar. Well, That's and if you look at Quicksilver compared to what he's looked like in past issues, suddenly he looks like a man. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't. It's like he's aged a few years during his time like with the Avengers. Teenager, yeah. Well, he and he, look at, he matured when he could outrun a falcon. That's, I mean, just, <laughs> That's what you do you to become a man. That's yeah. right. That is a passage of life. Now look at the musculature on these guys. You know, 
like there's uh what is it there's one page where site yeah page nine cyclops is ripped dude the bottom right i mean he's like almost schwarzenegger asking this roclops <laughs> i must break you on page nine though like one one thing i had in my notes is when quicksilver and 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 cyclops were having a conversation about magneto wanting to start up you know a, a society for mutants away yep. from society for humans like i i found the idea that that quicksilver actually believes that magneto wants to do this is laughable but like also i understand it because that that is a good thing to do so i could see how quicksilver would just want to believe it so much that he actually you know sets aside the fact that magneto's a villain and believes it but i was also surprised too that cyclops was fairly receptive to the idea and i was glad that the writers did that instead of this you know oh black and white villains heroes thing that has been the entire series up until now like it, the the villains and the heroes are starting starting to empathize with each other a little bit and it's good to mm -hmm. see well this becomes also becomes something i think that cyclops continues to believe in um maybe we don't hear about it for a while but years later they they go on to create the society or the little community called utopia um which i believe is on an island off of san francisco mm -hmm. um yeah well know. and um post uh post avengers versus x-men um uh on the cyclops it was magneto and cyclops on right the site it was yep magic magneto cyclops um yeah like ever and then there was the team wolverine was the other side with yeah. kitty pride and at, back at the mansion yeah, yeah. so mansion. so in in its own way this kind of sets i don't know precedent for future events which i even, won't go into but... e even as far as well even more recently krakoa you know yeah yep. yeah um so, but I think it's something that's like, it, again, we've got character development here and that's really cool. Yeah. So. Had you guys noticed on page six and seven, Quicksilver and Cyclops both refer to themselves in the third person? No. <laughs> no I, I did didn't. notice it for Cyclops. I didn't notice yeah, it for Quicksilver. Like the top of seven, Cyclops says, but no one tells Cyclops to halt. <laughs> it's like, who are you telling this to, dude? <laughs> oh, and then Quicksilver six, yeah. says, Oh yeah, one person does Quicksilver. <laughs> uh, I didn't actually notice that. But that's funny, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> it was just so out of character for Cyclops that I couldn't it help. Is. It just jumped out at me. Yeah. One of the things that I saw in here that I was that was really irritating me was then um, was Cyclops not being fast enough to shoot Quicksilver with his eye beam, but being quick enough to grab him while he was blinded yeah <laughs> well <laughs> these are highly trained mutant combatants okay <laughs> well but, cyclops yeah. is really good at shooting quicksilver in the back have you notice yeah. that all oh, that bitch <laughs> if yeah. you remember back to the issue with the first issue with grotesque when they make a big deal of being able to get around in the dark because the professor taught them how to do that it's just easier <laughs> for cyclops to not see he's just getting around yeah. in the dark yeah <sighs> I think that's awesome. You go Cyclops. This is the only time I'm pro Cyclops. 
<laughs> Dude, I'm going to have to ask you a favor because I spent a lot of money on liquor to try and block out the issue with grotesque. So if we could not bring it back up anymore. <laughs> Ice bad. I mean, been performing tequila therapy for a couple of weeks now and you're just bringing it all back. <laughs> wow. Well, He's just I, a misunderstood uh, little guy. Yeah. Well, he was. He's dead now. <laughs> or is he? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, he never comes back. Um, <laughs> so did yeah, you, I, did you did you see how Toad just got thrashed mm-hmm. by uh, <laughs> Magneto? Yeah, oh, yeah, that, that was abusive. like some of the darkest art I've seen in this book. Like yeah. darkest was, writing, dude. Magneto's just, he was, a total abusive prick. He's yeah. very abusive. He would he would have killed Toad if it weren't for the fact. What was it? Uh, he said something about killing him, and then t- and something changed his mind. Maybe it was, uh, um, I don't remember what it was. But Toad was like, "Oh, he didn't kill me because you know he." Yeah. But, but yeah, it it's. Magneto was like, I'm going to kill this little guy right now and then changed his mind. Um, but it is it is a bit dark. I, I, OK, so it, here's my thing about Magneto. Magneto is my favorite, my favorite X-Men. Right. And he's my not Magneto right now. Not Magneto <laughs> no. right now. No, Magneto, period. Um, but going back and reading these stories about Magneto yeah, he's just a he's a crazy ass motherfucker at the beginning. Yeah. I don't want people to be loyal to me. I just want them to fear me. I mm-hmm. want to kill humans and control everybody else. Um, and he's starting to chill a little bit, although <laughs> he's still a bad guy and he'll still smack Toad around every chance he gets. Yeah. But but it's I don't know, it's interesting because it's changing. Um I do think I do wish that at one point I sometimes I feel I almost have sympathy with Magneto when it comes to Toad. Me too. Yeah. On page twelve, he's like, "I want you to keep an eye on the X Men." And Toad is like, "If one of our prisoners even dares to breathe, the Toad will inform you immediately." I just I like I can just picture Magneto going like, "God, can't you ever just shut the fuck up and do what I ask you to do?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we've sent the last two issues, maybe three issues now that we've been on Magneto's little island here or whatever it is. Toad's just been so insufferable. And we we commented on it before in, in past episodes. And it's like it's understandable with as much of an annoying little prick that Toad is that Magneto's like this. But it's and I th- I'm pretty sure it comes up in, in the next issue we'll discuss in this episode. But like it all kind of comes together as some sort of character development for toad in the end so it's not really like a throwaway thing that i thought it was reading earlier issues so like it's kind of it's necessary it's a necessary evil as far as the writing is concerned well that's but that's the thing too you wonder why is he like that and then you start to think is there some kind of complex backstory with this character we don't know about because to me he's always been very two-dimensional Yes, I I don't know much about the toad and like where he comes from and why he would put up with that. I would agree with that as as of what we know of him now. Yeah. Well, um, are you guys ready to move on to the backup, the backup story? Sure. All right. Did anybody have anything else they wanted to talk about though in this one? 
Well, let's well see. did anyone notice how uh, Scarlet Witch kind of looks like a like a pinup model? Like yeah. on page 13? I didn't want to share that with anyone because I wanted oh. to keep it to myself. But <laughs> <laughs> I Just think Warner Roth, been, Warner Roth has been lurking at certain magazines yeah, to do research. I, I think it's important to remember that Scarlet Witch isn't bad. She's just drawn that way. <laughs> <laughs> Got those Madonna pasties going. Yep. 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 That hair, though. I mean, who could resist? Drew, you're, you're drooling. <laughs> is that what does it for you drew Sahar? tonight <laughs> uh rowan how do you feel about this issue which part this story that we're talking about no i like this one i did you did okay great um well let's go ahead and move on so in the backup to this issue uh and the Mob Cried Vengeance. Uh, writing is Gary Friedrich again. George Tuska is doing the pencils. John Verporten, who I always feel like I'm saying his name wrong, is doing the inks. Lettering by Irving Watanabe. And, of course, Stanley doing the editing. The last issue, Bobby Drake got into a scrap with a bunch of punks trying to make off with his date. Now, he's in jail freezing a guy solid <laughs> in a block of ice Probably and Cy- him. yeah yeah and cyclops has busted in to break him out um he in fact it, now what i find cool here is that bobby's like i'm not going man i did a thing and it was self-defense and i'm gonna stay here and they're gonna let me out so i'm all good thanks i don't need your help and uh he's cyclops- very mature about it on like the bobby we met at the beginning of the series right Right, but this is the Bobby before we met the yeah. Bobby at the beginning of the series, apparently. Uh, but it's written by Gary Friedrich, so of course he's better. He's more, you know, more of a developed character. But he, yeah, he says no thanks, and Cyclops says, "Oh yeah, then I'm going to blast you and, and just kidnap him." And kidnap. he kidnaps Iceman. That's true. Rowan has been waiting for a while just to talk about this because you, you could Cyclops see Cyclops makes it worse, and he kidnaps him. He's very passionate about this. Well, not only is he kidnapping him. He's technically kidnapping somebody who's under arrest and is facing charges, which alone is against against it's the law. Just and he beats him up. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yes, the recruitment process in the early days of the X Men was very odd. Yeah. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna go break him out of jail, whether he wants to or not, and I'm gonna kick the shit out of him. Well, blood in, blood out, X Men, 1965. <laughs> it does. It does make it make more sense, though, as to why Iceman and Cyclops don't really interact in the books at all, other than like when they're in uniform on mission or in the danger room, like they don't interact hardly at all outside, like in their civilian identities. Yeah. Okay, so Xavier's dead in in our current continuity that we're reading, but this is a flashback story, so I'm going to go ahead and give you a sin of or you know crime of Xavier. Crime of Xavier is that he actually sent Cyclops to break Bobby out of jail. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yep, that's um, a great way to get someone to come to your side. Yeah, Ridiculous. I mean, maybe in some cases, but Bobby's a, a mature young man. He's gonna face the money. He's gonna face the music here. So, um, yeah. So Cyclops does he he 
He takes him by force. He kidnaps him. And while this is going on, uh, there's a mob that shows up to get Bobby. And the sheriff sees Bobby and Scott kind of fighting in the street and uh, says, what the hell? Go for it. Tells the mob to go ahead and, <laughs> and take them down. Um, you know, the sheriff was there to like tell everybody to go home and they're not having it. They're like, I don't think so. But then the sheriff sees these two mutants fighting outside the jail and he's like, ah, they're right. Okay, go after them. So the mob mob attacks. Um, Bobby runs and Cyclops goes after him and there's a little more fighting, but it, it gets broken up by a guy with a shotgun. <laughs> At any rate, yep. Um, just as true then as it is today. If you ever need to quell a situation, a maniac with a shotgun is always the way to go. <laughs> yeah, I I would agree. Um, not really. Uh, so the you know we we only have like what five pages or so of of this backup story, so it's always cut. You know, it's always cut too quick, but but. Uh, I like Friedrich's writing, and I'm just going to come out and say that. I like that he is, you know, developing these characters. He's working with them uh, and their personalities. Um, you know, I I feel almost like this is uncharacteristic of Cyclops and uncharacteristic of Iceman, but they didn't really have personalities before. So, you know, good for good for Friedrich for for kind of stepping up and making that happen. And, and two here in this part of the book, there's, you know, some really good art. I mean, you know, the first part of the book was better, but I mean, when you look at the dude with the shotgun and the cigarette, I mean, he smells like well whiskey and you know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I was wondering, the boat's just called Susie, though. It's not the USS Susie, so apparently it's an illegal boat because it's not been officially registered with any sort of maritime law enforcement. I, just, I wanted <laughs> to know who Susie was. It's got to be one of the you know creative team's wives or girlfriend or something, but it's just such a bland name for a boat. <laughs> well, what's, be. what's the backstory for the boat now? I'm curious yeah, about that. That's that's really like <laughs> as soon as I saw from? it huge on there, I was like, I need to know the story behind Susie. Well, who owns the boat? Where did it come from? Why is it just parked there? So well maintained. <laughs> There's know, a story yeah. there, guys. Well, that gets bigger than that too. Why do boats and cars and all of that always have women's names? Well, I think it's. I think they should have done another backup story just to tell us all this. Just <laughs> because they're often owned by dudes, and dudes ride them. There is a reason why ships wow, you, are named after women there. historically, but <laughs> I, I don't did. remember what it is. So I'm going to Google it, and I'm going to come back and tell you guys yeah. historically why ships are female. Go, take take it even one further and find out why the ship is named Susie. <laughs> Or, you know, you can really get really dig deep and find out if why why all these dudes are giving their trucks women's names. They put nuts on the back of them. Uh, I think it's because <laughs> there's something that. Well, yeah, it's because their trucks are trans. Wish we'll think that's great. I'm all for it. Trans yeah, yeah. trucks is the way to go. Trans trucks. That sounds like a kind of like a. I don't know. Optimus an, alternative, Prime. an alternative country band. Awesome. Yeah. Trans trucks. 
I think these guys are just sexually confused and they're working it out. There you go. That's all. That backup story, of course, felt really short, but it was only again five pages. Um, I actually like this backup arc a lot better than the Cyclops arc, um, partly because I just felt Jack of Diamonds was completely boring and I find Cyclops completely boring. So him fighting with Iceman is awesome. This is the first Iceman, you know, battle. Well, not his first battle, but it's certainly his first battle with Cyclops. <laughs> I think it's great. Uh, I do wonder, because it kind of looks like on page five, they use the same or at least incredibly similar picture of Iceman twice on the same page. The second panel on the top row and the last panel on the bottom row. Mm-hmm. It that I'm almost convinced that that is that is the same picture. Yeah, me too. A little little different, sh- you know, shadow sh- shading, but that's easy to change. Yeah. yeah, same same exact facial expression. Well, I I think it's interesting that they continued the idea of Snowball Iceman, but they did it in a in a little bit better way. Uh huh. Yeah. He still has facial features, even though you can tell it's he's frosty. He's not, you know, the ice cube looking dude mm-hmm. that he becomes. Stay frosty, Bobby Drake. Stay frosty. I actually like this version of Iceman. His personality is much mm-hmm. more yeah. assertive and what and, and he's still determined to turn himself back into the law and go through the process. He kind of becomes a little bitch later on. I don't know why, but well, I think last last episode I talked about the backup and how uh, Bobby Drake didn't seem like a teenager really. He he felt like an adult. Um, and I don't know if that I, it's not that they're. I I don't think they're trying to retcon. I think it's just again, you've got a writer who likes to put a little more detail in his mm-hmm. characters. Yeah, and and that's a good thing. It can it, it's only it only gets better from here. I mean, it it will get worse. Though point but it only gets better from here (laughs) yeah there's a period in in x-men where character development takes a big dip of course but uh the 90s oh hello yeah (laughs) Yeah. a lot of things take a dip in the 90s drawing the x-men like manga is character development (laughs) yeah i've been told and that's that's the later 90s of course uh mid to late 90s early 90s it's all about the pouches Shoulder pads. Recently, I reread an old issue of X Factor, and I think Jay Lee was doing the artwork. That was part of the Executioner song. Yeah, it was. I looked at the page, and I'm going from panel to panel going, what the hell is even going on here? I mean, there's something happening in the art, but it's not it's not well-defined at all. You can't... All you see is, like, you see, like, the the shapes... And then there's action, but you don't know what that action is, and they never explain it. It's bizarre. Well, I feel if I remember correctly, all of those books were coming out like every two weeks. Yeah. And yeah. If, and if I also remember correctly, Jay Lee had issues sticking to a schedule. Like when he had time to kind of stretch his legs and walk it out, his art was really good. Mm-hmm. But trying to get him to draw four books in a, in a, in two months is is not the way to go with it that yeah. that that particular artist well i remember his art on namor was really good like off the hook good oh yeah it was, it was great but if you go back and look at those he's got the 
he's got the early X-Men backgrounds in a lot of that stuff too. Yeah. As it, in there's in nothing. fact, that one panel, um, all the characters are just blacked out. So yeah. they're, they're kind of a, you know, um, a cameo almost or a black, just blacked out. And then yeah. behind them, it's all bright pink. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it was, I don't know if it was a, a thing like where he was rushed or if it was a style choice. Well, it was written. Uh, so I've got a book that talks about that particular issue. And there are X-Men scholars who will argue and say both. Um, but, you know, I think Jay Lee says it was a style choice and some other people say, no, it wasn't. It, it, it's a whole thing. But, you know, it'd be nice. I can't wait to get to that point and talk about it because I've actually already got notes written on that particular issue <laughs> <laughs> in anticipation. So in about 10 years when we reach that. <laughs> so at any rate, uh, anything to say before we wrap up X-Men number? I'm sorry, Roger, what number was this? 40, 45, 53? 53. No. Yeah. <laughs> so before, we wrap, wrap up, before we wrap up X-Men 45, anybody got anything else to say? No, I like I agree with Roger. I think that the art was better here than it's been in a while. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, like I said, little nitpicky stuff aside, I think that the the story was better than it's been. I feel that like compared like their whole being stuck in someone's base here is better than it was when they fought factor three. Yeah. 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 And it, it really doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but I'll tell you what, it feels like we are getting ready to move into a new era. I mean, we really are moving into a new era of X-Men. Well, and there's a, you know, there's a psychic premonition on the cover of X-Men 46. Uh, yeah, it says at the end of the X-Men. <laughs> Hang on, I gotta admit something. I just peeked ahead at X-Men 53. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Man. Another dip. <laughs> yep. So nice. let's I just did too. Let's go ahead and talk <laughs> about Avengers number 53, shall we? Um, Avengers 53 was released April 9th, 1968. June of 68 was the cover date. Credits are Roy Thomas doing the writing. John Vashima, one of my favorite artists, uh, doing the pencils. George Tuska on inks. Artie Simic on letters. And Stan Lee and the editing team. The story is titled, In Battle Joined. Now the Avengers arrived to see Cyclops defeat Quicksilver with his uh, optic blast and where that would normally get the heroes a get 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 the heroes a high five the avengers don't know really what the hell's going on um they don't it, it feels here that they don't know that pietro and wanda have joined the brotherhood now it seems to me that that's kind of in the writing for the avengers issue but maybe not in the x-men issue yeah, I think that's possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, at any rate, so they attack Cyclops. There's a flashback of when Angel goes to the Avengers headquarters. Now, this is interesting, too, because the, the story is telling, you know, is, is going through this with flashbacks. And I kind of feel, I like how they do it. it. It's almost like you don't notice the transitions right away but you get it right away. Like, you, you know, you're reading it and you get it. You understand it. Um, 
It's not disruptive. It's not cheesy. I, I think it's pretty cool. So yeah, Angel goes to Avengers HQ and he asks for help. They ask him to lead them to Magneto. Um, then they attack him because they find a tracking device on his wings. Uh, I don't know what that... They think he's a spy, really. Why would you hide a tracking device on your own wing? You know, that just seems like a place that somebody would, would kind of hide it to hide it from you. So they think he's a spy for Magneto. And when they show up, they think the X-Men are the enemy. Of course, it doesn't help that Magneto and a mind con has a mind control device. He uses it on the X-Men, and they follow the order to destroy the Avengers. In my mind, they probably didn't even need the uh, mind control device. He would have just had to say, destroy the Avengers, and they'd have been like, okay. Because that's, you know... <laughs> That's how they operate. But the Avengers defeat them. Angel shows up, turns off Magneto's machine. Magneto has to fight the X-Men and the Avengers and orders Toad to detonate the part of the HQ that has the heroes in it. Toad calls bullshit and <laughs> sets the self-destruct sequence on the whole damn place. So X-Men and Avengers try to take down Magneto and Toad tries to lead Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver to a special non-metallic ship. This is cool on Toad's part. This is great. Magneto tries to climb on, but Toad stomps on his hand and he falls to his craggy to the rocks, the craggy rocks below, uh, perhaps to his death. The last panel is of his cracked helmet in the kind of in the rocks in the water below. So this is a really cool, very dramatic ending, and it feels like, ooh, Magneto could be dead. And of course, we never see Magneto again. Well, that's not <laughs> true, man. Just kidding. But but it is a cool ending, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you guys. All right, so give me your thoughts. What do you think, fellas and lady? I thought that the whole fight at the first half of the issue was dumb. Uh -huh. Yep. Uh-huh. I just kept, I kept reading and reading and I'm like, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> there was yeah. a little bit of that. There's that classic heroes antagonistic towards each other shtick that they put in multiple Marvel issues just so they can do that hero versus hero thing. Oh, and then there's that happens, whole, yeah. there's that whole, like, why are the X-Men so easily mind controlled to do whatever, you know, there's this whole let's mind control the X-Men so they do stupid shit. This is a thing that's been done in multiple issues of the X-Men. <laughs> and this time it's in an issue of the Avengers. In previous issues, Cyclops specifically sent Angel to go get the Avengers to rescue them. And then on page two, when the Avengers first show up, he's the, he's convinced that they're robots sent from Magneto as a trick to recapture him. And I'm like, is this really how this issue is going to go? Like right off the bat, this shit happens. And it just kind of, it continued with that same line of shenanigans for me. And yeah. I, I don't know. So here's, here's my, my take on this. Okay. You've got Gary Friedrich, who we, who we've been talking about has, is re being really good about developing characters and, you know, putting a lot of thought into the characters. He wrote the X-Men story. And then you have Roy Thomas writing the Avengers story. And we've had Roy Thomas 
writing the X-Men for quite a while. And he, we've already talked about how he's kind of like a Stan Lee, you know, the, the next Stan Lee. And so it feels like it is kind of Gary's Gary Friedrich versus Stan Lee style of writing. I, it's almost like the two aren't very compatible. You know, they're not, they're not seamless. Those two stories, the crossovers should flow easily into each other. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they don't really flow very seamlessly here. One thing I wanted to ask you guys in, in regards to that though, is um, on page 10, the out of nowhere, it, from, from my point of view, just the Avengers started fighting each other. Like, is, is that normal for that team in this era? Is that something that the <laughs> Avengers do? Because, like, I could totally see Clint and, and Hank not getting along and, and fighting with each other all the time. That kind of made sense to me. But is that a normal Avengers behavior? Uh, You got me there, man. Um, You know, I, I've read a lot of the old Avengers, but it's been even longer for me. And uh, I, you know... To be honest, it never really interested me as much as the X-Men. So, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, my biggest thing with this one is like Angel was trying to catch a, a real world ass whipping in this book because he's like talking shit on the Black Panther. He's like, I like, oh, it's like, oh, you're talking shit on his costume when you're wearing the rejects from a third rate clown college. This is fantastic. <laughs> I, well, I have complaints about Angel's costume here. Of course, this is. You know, it was always the costume that I hated the most. Um, even when Who I was the younger, fuck wears a belt and suspenders. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Rodeo that color, clowns. That color scheme is just messed up. That's just wrong. As a young person, I remember thinking, "Oh, his cost." You know, let's say when when Angel becomes Archangel in the eighties. And his costume, his outfit is badass because he's all blue and purple and he has these big metal wings. Like, wow, that was a tremendous upgrade from his last costume. Uh, But his costume way back in the 60s with the bright yellow, that was horrible. Well, let me tell you, I'm scheduling our future reading right now. And we're going to be reading uh, uh, maybe three issues of The Champions. And his costume in that is the worst. It is... (laughs) So much worse than this. <laughs> Is so. he wasn't wearing like a merkin on the outside of his pants or something? <laughs> I, I do not hate Angel like you guys do, but I cannot defend his costume. Yeah, I cannot. Well, uh, I think if you you want to see an interesting like Flash Gordon inspired costume, look at cha- uh, Champions number one or number number one and number two. I gotta say, um, I'm really feeling pumped now to read the champions issues. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I sold you on it. Um <laughs> those issues I really enjoyed. I, I really liked it. It's it's X-Men adjacent, it's Angel, Black Widow, Iceman, um, Ghost Rider, and Hercules. Well, uh, if Hercules is in it and Angel's in it, I'm out. It's like the it's like the it's like the acid book of the seventies. Yeah, Drew's Drew's calling in sick that day. Um, well, I think we may make a group veto on this one, dude. Uh, I'll I'll record my own episode then. It's it's definitely worth reading, um, and it's it's worth reading because uh, honestly, I think some of the best stuff is uh, Iceman and Ghost Rider. So it's, it's well, yeah. Definitely worth reading for those two guys. 
Um, but back at I, the Avengers. I did I did want to be before we carried on. Sorry to interrupt you, Rob, no. but I wanted to talk about Toad. Yeah. Because I I'd mentioned him for the last issue and how I thought that, you know, the the for the last three or four issues, him being just such an annoying sycophant and getting the absolute shit kicked out of him by Magneto constantly. Like I kind of felt like he deserved that. And I think there's a, a somewhat of an agreement amongst the group about that because he's absolutely annoying. But then it turned out that, oh, he's actually sick of it and and he's tired of Magneto treating him like this and he turns on him. But there was really like that makes sense from character development standpoint. He's tired of Magneto yeah. treating him like shit. So he's going to turn on Magneto. But it literally happened over the course of like a page like he was he was getting treated like shit and then all of a sudden out of nowhere he totally just betrays him mm-hmm. and like i i felt like since toad hasn't done anything but been this annoying little asshole the whole series it kind of belittled his character a little bit to not give him the time to shine in the way that he could have in this like it'll be interesting no, to see where he goes with this but i i felt like that character development it was done super poorly Okay. I would agree. I would agree with that. I cheered for Toad when he stomped on Magneto's hands. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, but you know, you you bring up a good point, Drew, because you're kind of like victim blaming in a way. It's like, well, you you sit there, you put up with it. Why do you, you know, you deserve well, it because you put up with it, you know? And it's like, well, let's step back and take a look at this we don't know who he is or where he comes from or why he puts up with it clearly he has no sense of self or self-esteem but eventually he gets up the courage to rebel and you're kind of like i respect that i i mean if i was magneto dealing with toad i would have done the exact same thing like he magneto was sick of his shit and was like no get the fuck out of here like go away leave me alone quit talking however However, Toad just didn't listen. I think yeah. it's important to remember that Magneto has Toad so that he has somebody to slap around. Because Nick Magneto's an absolute narcissist. Yeah. Yes. And he needs somebody there like that. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't like Toad because of that, because of his, his, his ways. But at the same time, I want him to get out of that. I want him to shake that off and I want him to like say, fuck you, Magneto, finally. And when it happens to me, I was just like, oh, that's awesome. Good job. Uh, Yeah, I was glad he did it. I'm not saying I wasn't. It was it was a great little scene, but I wish there had been more build up to it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it would have been better character development, but it struck me as like they didn't show it build up as as like a as a surprise. You know what I mean? Like they meant they wanted it to be like a, a surprise they, wanted, they yeah. wanted it to be like the the big switcheroo um yeah, yeah that's, that's what seemed, i was saying it was very seemed, dramatic very well dramatic. no that seemed rather convenient it almost it, it, when i read it it almost felt like the switcheroo was something they added in when they got to the back half of the book i mean i don't disagree with you i just think that was like how it was played yeah i don't know that that whole thing just rubbed me the wrong way while i was reading it not not because of what happened, but just because of how it was dealt yeah. with. Well, looking forward to um, a little more bo- a little more on Magneto here. I am actually, you know, it, and because I I have read ahead and know what's going going to happen with Magneto, um, I'm I'm excited about that. But I am a little cloudy on 
where Toad goes from here. So that'll be kind of interesting to to discover. He falls in love with Cannonball's sister. Yeah. <laughs> I also okay. I also think oh, one you of didn't my... mean to go that far forward. Not that far forward. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the reasons why I, I dislike <clears throat> excuse me, the reason I dislike Toad so much is because my really my vision of Toad in my mind comes from the cartoon X-Men Evolution, where uh-huh. Toad was like a completely different character than he's he's portrayed in, in these comics. And and I kind of can't wrap my head around the two different characters. So I may, yeah. maybe it's on me. Maybe it's my fault that I hate this toad. I don't know. I'll I'll be honest. It's the same reason I didn't like the character from X Men Evolution because he was so different than <laughs> the toad that was previous. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think how... you're right not to like this this version of the character because he is a little centif- psychophantic, you know, douche. But at the same time, he's a very two dimensional character. So there's not really anything to like about him. And he's yeah. literally named Toad because he's so much like a Toad. And by that, also a Toady. He's Magneto's little Toady. Yeah, it's their king. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's well, a good point, though. I hadn't thought of it is. like that. That's that's a very good you know play on words by them if they intended yeah. it. One of the things I feel like we need to address here is the art in this book. It's it threw me off the whole book because it's John Ramita. No, no, John. Uh, no, it's John Bashima. Bashima. Oh, John Bashima. Sorry. Yeah, it's John Bashima. But it doesn't. None of it really. There's there's moments where it looks like his art. Yeah. But the inker, I, I feel like if you look at this book, you could see what an inker can do to a great artist's work. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, so George Tuska is, in my mind, he's one of the great Silver Age artists. Um, in my mind, also, John Bashima is also one of the great uh, Silver Age and even the what they're calling, you know, the the Copper Age, Modern Age artist. I love his artwork after this. This artwork here, I was like, what the hell? You know? <laughs> yeah, it was all over. Like, for example, on page 12, the, there's a th- it's a three panel page. There's, you know, a quarter panel up top where Magneto's all washed in yellow. And that panel is great. And then in the next one, the next panel, it's a half page panel. His arms are too long and he looks like he's trying to squeeze out a a rough one. And it's just like every, all the goodwill that was purchased in panel number two was flushed down the toilet, literally in panel number three. It's just incredibly, (laughs) it's incredibly inconsistent here, um, which was kind of a surprise. Like, and then you go forward like the, on page 13, there's, it's another three panel page, but it's in thirds. The second panel with everyone getting like, mind blasted is a really cool panel Mm -hmm. and then the next panel everyone's proportions are all out of whack i liked the art in this issue i liked it a lot um but mainly because (laughs) it was very reminiscent of me to like um the the 90s comics like the darker 90s comics where every, everything was kind of big and out of proportion and i was gonna say and, everyone, in a good and everyone's way. bodies were all out of proportion yeah <laughs> but it it was it kind of uh, i i'm i'm especially thinking of like the nightfall um series oh, okay and yeah that like was, how jones yeah kelly jones covers 
Yeah. yeah and like how dark and gritty it, that storyline was but then you'd have this art that was like showing dark and gritty stuff but kind of in a cartoony way that kind of lightened the tone a little bit and so i i i love that i love that whole series it's amazing um so this kind of brought me back to that and it just seemed a little more it flowed a little bit more for me personally with the art in this as opposed to the other x-men books that we've been reading in the last couple episodes mm-hmm. right but yeah no, you're totally right i'm looking at the i'm looking at the bottom panel of page 13 and what the hell's going on with gene's arms yeah. they look like twigs. <laughs> and good to, to go back to what we were talking about in between books i i did want to mention we were you mentioned x-men 53 um, and Roger, I'm assuming, did you read some of it or were you just looking no, at the No, I art? just looked at the cover okay. on the first page. You you know whose very first comic book issue that is, right? No. Barry Windsor Smith. And that is a man that, I mean, it shows everyone starts somewhere. And that's, well, that's I, before if, he developed his own style. I was just going to say he's a, copy, he's, a, he's a clone of Kirby, at least on the cover art. Is that's not the Barry Windsor Smith that I know. No, no, it's not. And that's it's just fascinating. Like looking at that, it's the first work of Barry Windsor Smith in comic books ever. Yeah. That's so cool. I just I think that, you know, to to look at that and then go and look at where he went from there is yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. I do remember looking at Barry Windsor Smith art going, too crazy about this. Um, but then if, the more you read of it, the more you're like, this is a an interesting style choice, and and yeah, it it becomes almost signature. It will become signature that style for him, and so you you learn to love it, um, and you learn to like look in between the lines, and I think what you're saying here it, it, is something I agree with. That there he hasn't developed that yet, and so he's not really um, expressing himself the way we know Barry Windsor Smith to express himself. No, because if you think about it, one of the one of the issues I think he did he did like uncanny X-Men, at least I think he did the cover at least for X-Men 124 or 214. Uh-huh. It's yeah. got like Dazzler and Storm yeah, and right. um is that the one with uh uh the the choker? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah that's a great cover. Yeah I love that cover. The other cover that I always loved of his was Iron Man was in the middle of Armor Wars where it looks he's not hung, but like Iron Man is all wrapped up in cables and he's kind of dangling uh-huh. and it's it, it's like a really stark background and and like the there's smoke coming out of the circuits. So like like the boots are exposed and so like you can't see his legs because there's like smoke and a debris coming out of in between all of the metal and stuff. And it's really cool just to see where he came, he went to. Well, in the future, I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about X-Men 53, because I have always been excited to read this issue. It's I, I I've read it a few times now, but again, it's been a while. Um, and the character, the villain in it is somebody who I've always known about. And you'll see him pop up in fantastic four from time to time. Um, or you'll see him pop up in 
the Marvel Universe's Book of the Dead because he gets killed off. (laughs) (laughs) So reading his, I've always, I read his profile a lot as a young person. And to see him show up in the X-Men, I'm like, what the hell is he doing in the X-Men? Really? Um, So I love the weird, like bizarre little cameos that they throw or bizarre little appearances of these characters that they're never going to use again. Yeah. Uh, I like that kind of stuff, which is why I like the grotesque stories, which is why even though it was terrible and awful, I like the Frankenstein's monster story. I like the fact that they threw Frankenstein's monster in there just for that reason. You know, (laughs) the the story itself was shit. The art was shit. It was all shit. But but yeah, that's I I had a quick question. Mm -hmm. How long has Basima been drawing at this point? Oh, that, that is a good question. Oh, that's a that is a good one. Um, now, because I, like I, even he, even his art changes in time. Yeah, and and he's already been doing the the Avengers for a little while, I believe. At this okay. point, I don't know the exact issue, but but I I know that he'd already been doing some Avengers. But of course, he yeah, his art changes. In fact, he becomes really iconic and and uh, comes back to do Avengers even later. You know, I mean, he's. He sticks around for a long time. Well, I look at um the bottom of page 17 at Magneto. Uh-huh. And the way he does the anatomy, A, it's fairly accurate. It's comic book version, but it's still very, you know, fairly accurate. But the shading and the coloration, people were doing that for decades afterwards. I think they're probably still doing it that way. And look at Cyclops right above that. This is some of some of these panels are fairly plain and straightforward and kind of old-fashioned but there's little hints here and there of like well like on page 13 that middle panel shane was talking about i mean there's little key moments key elements of creativity that just kind of pop out at you so this is something that might be interesting because i'm going to answer your question roger because i looked it up i wonder sometimes the art could be being restricted a bit because when i tell you that john basima has been at this point has been drawing for over 20 years. Bullshit. He started <laughs> drawing in the forties. Wow. So yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah right. I and, mean, and even for Marvel comics, I mean, he was doing like, he was, yeah, it was timely at the time. Yeah. 1949. Yep. So yeah, um, he's been drawing for 20 years at this point. So that's why I was saying, I think it might have something to do with the inker. So he started with the Avengers in issue 41 and this is 53. So he'd been doing it for a little while here. Okay, I'm going to shit on Stanley again. I don't think that there was a focus on actual editorial. Uh-huh. It was uh-huh. he he was spending an awful lot of time promoting the books and like for example in the last X-Men issue we read, uh, the 45, the editorial boxes in that book were as big as Cyclops. They took up just as much space on the page as Cyclops. So that the actual editorial process does not seem to have been the top priority. It's amazing when you think about what could have been. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. if you if you had the original art from this issue and you had like say five or ten different inkers doing their versions of it, you would have that many variations on it. Let's let Jay Lee ink one of them. Well, it'd be, it would be it would be interesting to let some of the image guys from the '90s do it, or some of the guys from the '80s 
let Denny O'Neill from DC Comics do it. I mean, if you could time travel and have them do that, it would be pretty interesting. You would see some of the some of the inkers would really bring out the art, and some yeah. of them would kind of ruin it. One of the best inkers from the late '80s, early '90s, even though he went comics gate, was Art Thebert. I'd oh, love yeah. to see him do something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. The story arc is over, like I said, because we see Magneto's helmet smashed on the rocks below. Oh, um, yeah. So it'll be a little while before we see Magneto again, but that's okay because all kinds of fun stuff is coming up for the X Men. And I'm not talking about fighting, you know, throwaway villains like Blastar or Frankenstein's monster or. But um, that's what they're going to do, Rob. <laughs> I know. I know. But there's some really good stuff coming. Really good stuff. Um, yes. And as, as I said, the giant size X-Men number one is just around the corner. <laughs> it's just around the corner. But even before that, we've, Holding got, on. we've got Neil <laughs> Adams coming on board yeah. to do artwork. And holy shit, man. I mean, Roy Thomas is writing, but the story is neat. It's we've got, like I said, we've got Neil Adams art. And in my mind, you know, people talk about how giant size X-Men brought on, you know, ended the silver age. I think that it was, I think it was Neil Adams that did it. I think he did it. Um, and I think that they brought him on a little too late because, you know, not long, he's not around very long before they canceled the series. So, uh, but he goes on to do bigger and better things and, you know, a lot of, just a lot of cool shit. So, Anything before we uh, before we wrap it up, you guys? Yeah, I, I just I feel like this entire arc ended up being a letdown for me because. Well, no, not this entire arc, because it, it did it did come to, you know, so, something came of it. But this issue in particular, they spent the first 18 pages, you know, X-Men battling the Avengers, which I guess is cool. And then you know for a little bit you had the avengers battling the avengers yeah but then you know page 18 comes around and it, it was all a ruse so it was really all for nothing yeah i do i do wonder like as as you said that i was sitting here thinking is like is it because we're so jaded by this having happened over and over and over for 60 years 80 years you know it's been going they, this whole, oh, we fight for a little while and then we realize that we don't hate each other and then we team up and and defeat the real enemy. Yeah. And then the treasure Maybe. was the friends you made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this hero fighting hero thing that I mean, that we've actually have come across several times now, just in the books that we've been reading. It it must have sold books. Because they keep doing it. Yeah. I mean, it, it sold still books does. to me. It yeah, still, yeah. it still does. Same. Yeah. They did like the, the Avengers versus the X-Men has had its own series twice now. <laughs> That's one of the the few X-Men series I've personally bought was, Which Avengers, one? was AVX. I was going to say by AVX, I got so tired of it that I didn't even buy any of those books because uh, I, well, I thought that that whole series was, was kind of silly in a lot of and, ways. And however, okay, however, it doesn't... Let, let me just say this. So in the 90s, 80s, 80s and 90s, early 90s, uh, I, you know, you didn't really see Spider-Man and the Hulk interact that much. 
And, you know, and when they did, it was a big deal because you knew they were going to punch each other. You didn't <laughs> see Wolverine and the thing interact that much or the Hulk and the thing. Anytime the Hulk and the thing got together, it, they were going to fight because those guys had history. And so it was always cool. And and so those books did sell. Now, by the time the 90s came along, everybody was in everybody's book all the time anyway. And it was never it, it stopped being a big deal. Um, but but, you know, they did like some of the great like there was this i think it was amazing spider-man where he he gets the 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 power of uh what's what is that captain universe or what captain the, universe yeah 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 and he punches the hulk so hard that the hulk flies into outer space yeah dude what's in orbit yeah and then and then the hulk looks and the sun's coming which is bad for the hulk because at that time that's the thing that changed him um and it huh. was you know this was a great fight. I loved it. So those kind of books sold. They sold copies. I was a sucker for that one. That was a great yeah. story. It was it a was lot of amazing. fun. Yeah. So I can only imagine that back in 1968, again, it was something that sold books. I think I talked about it a little bit when I said that, you know, Roy Thomas talked about how Stan thought that um, doing you know, isolating the characters and having them do their own thing would sell books better. But they also thought that crossing over would sell books. And this is where the crossover first happened. Okay. Well, I think the cover of this issue is very indicative of that. I mean, it's yeah. literally the Avengers stacked up on one side, the X-Men stacked up on the other. And the title underneath it is the Avengers versus the X-Men. I mean, if that didn't sell comic books, I don't know what the hell would. Yeah. Well, and Marvel's not the only company to do that. DC did no. the hell out of that. Oh, sure enough, sure enough. So, sorry, sorry, Rowan, to cut you off. No, but... no, I, I mean, it. I guess, and not not everyone who would buy these books had read the previous one, where maybe the oh, it's just another mind control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they wouldn't necessarily <laughs> know that it had been done yeah. before. Yeah. yeah. And and then they feel robbed. But that's part of it is that we're reading them kind of one after the other. So we're noticing that they're doing the same the same story again. The same people that read the Avengers don't necessarily read the X-Men until now. And they don't necessarily read the Fantastic Four. So Right. We could all be new to them, even though it's the same thing over and over again. <laughs> right. Uh, with that, I will say goodbye to everybody. It has been fun, and we will catch you next week. Happy Life Day, kids. Everybody.